This is an RNZ podcast. Last week, the Transport Minister cited the Climate Change Commission's advice, which he'd already seen but the public hadn't until last Wednesday, when he scaled back planned multi-billion dollar roading upgrades because of cost blowouts. This is the year in which the Climate Change Commission has handed down a draft report and now a full report to the government, which points the way towards New Zealand reducing its emissions. If we keep doing things as we have done them in the past, we'll get the same results. As it stands, transport contributes 47% of New Zealand's CO2 emissions, and emissions from transport have risen by 90% over the last 30 years. So there is a need for us to rethink the kind of projects that we are delivering. And with that in mind, the government does want to spend almost $800 million on a new Auckland Harbour Bridge just for bikes and pedestrians and links to existing cycle paths. And as we heard on Media Watch last week, that was widely condemned by commentators as far too much for too little gain, and many confidently claimed that bridge would never be built. And in a confusing column in last weekend's Herald on Sunday, where she seemed to say that the existing Auckland Harbour Bridge for cars was fundamentally unsafe, News Talk ZB's Kerry McIver said the cost of the proposed new bridge for bikes dwarfed the $30 million budget for a new bridge for flood-hit Ashburton. That would buy 26 bridges for Ashburton. They just want the one. Now there, Kerry McIver was echoing her colleague Heather Duplessy-Allen, who'd already said this on News Talk ZB last Friday. How can you announce this in the same week that Ashburton has its town cut in half, asks for a second bridge to solve that situation, and you don't say yes? But you could build 26 bridges for Ashburton for the cost of this one cycling path. The second bridge into Ashburton isn't even off the table because of commitments to the Auckland Harbour Bike Bridge. Indeed, the government's Provincial Growth Fund recently shelled out nearly $100,000 to develop a business case for a second bridge into Ashburton as an option for the Canterbury Regional Land Transport Plan. That estimates a second bridge would cost about $30 million and just under another million would be needed for the land. But it's not the government's fault that that hasn't had a green light, whatever the actual cost might be. In 2019, the Ashburton Council decided it would fund only 20% of the new bridge and asked the government to front up with the rest. And Waka Kotahi, the New Zealand Transport Agency, usually funds just over half the cost of roadworks in the district, but media reports said the Ashburton Council wanted that to pay 80% of the second bridge cost. Meanwhile, some ratepayers, according to reporting by Stuff, reckon that even a 20% local contribution is too high. They reckon the whole thing should be paid for by central government. And last month, Ashburton's mayor told Stuff that the council has yet to officially ask Waka Kotahi for the money to build a new bridge anyway. But none of that was mentioned by Heather Duplessy-Allen or Kerry McIver when hitting out at the government on News Talk ZB last weekend for skewed priorities in the budgets for bridges. The next day, last Monday, the New Zealand Herald's editorial took a very different line on the new bridge for Auckland Harbour. The government will face criticism now, but its bet could pay off long term. Getting most people to move with the times will take constant explaining, cajoling, incentives and investments. Indeed it will, in the face of strident scepticism from News Talk ZB hosts reproduced in the pages and on the website of the New Zealand Herald itself and their columns side by side each week in the Herald on Sunday. On the facing page of the New Zealand Herald last Monday, readers were urged to continue the conversation with Kerry McIver on News Talk ZB that morning. However, she had Queen's Birthday Monday off. But that afternoon, talkback caller Craig had taken note of her maths. They could build, what did they say, 26 bridges across something that keeps the um, oh, economy okay. going in the South Island. 
And, like Kerry McIver, Craig had his own insults for cyclists in the city. But these pricks are still riding on the road. Well, they're still and allowed to ride on the road, I think. They are indeed, though they probably shouldn't, around Craig. Auckland is not cyclist-friendly. Um, and for goodness sake, if you're going to ride your bike, don't take up the road and use your manners. You're never going to win against a mm. car. For ZB listeners wondering why we can't just get along and share the road and stay in our lanes, host Tim Beveridge feared the problem was this. Either side of the divide, you'll find dickheads, won't we? And that's, um, that's the Listen, problem. I, used to, I, used to, I hate the cyclists now, but I used to <laughs> ride my bike to school every day. But that anger about selfish cyclists runs deep in some of them, and several people called in to demand cyclists be registered and levied by whatever means. I, I totally agree with some sort of registration, a uh, transponder or something like that on the bike to recover fees from them. Caller Colin there said he had three motorbikes and three cars, also a motorhome and a truck and trailer. So cyclists should have to pay two, he said, even the young ones. So they should be paying ACC. What about kids? So, no, you know, we'd, we'd exempt children, wouldn't we? I mean, people who kids uh, ride bicycle cycling to school, you're not going to tax your kids for riding a bike on the road, are you? Well, maybe, you know, they could work out something about a wheel sizes or something like that, you know, to reduce the cost right down. But a, a child still... Uh, comes under ACC, don't they? <laughs> but after that, another caller, John, said callers like Colin and co were wasting their time. The cost of levying cyclists, he said, would be greater than the proceeds, and there was a better way, he reckoned, to make the bad cyclists accountable. The best way to identify an errant biker is to take a photo of them. Well, if you're driving, though, you can't really do that because then you get pinged for using your cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> Just pass ahead of them. Stuff reporter Joel McManus is the transport and infrastructure reporter for the Dominion Post in Wellington. This week he wrote an eye-opening long read for Stuff on just how fraught it's become in the councils and communities around the country and for people like him covering all this in the media. I mean, to some extent, agriculture and electricity get perhaps more attention, um, but transport is... Absolutely one of those areas that is a really significant emissions source and actually an area where we have a number of levers to pull that are available to address it. Uh, But when those levers get pulled, uh, people react in ways that aren't always um, 100% rational. The reaction is always strong, um, and it's getting increasingly strong on both sides. I think you saw a more aggressive anti-cycleways push first, perhaps, um, but now there's almost an equal amount of frustration on the other side from both, you know, cycling enthusiasts but also just climate activists, urbanists who want to see change in their cities and are getting frustrated that they're not the change they want is not happening. But a lot of the reaction in the media I'm pretty clearly directed at cyclists. They are just not popular with drivers. For example, earlier in the programme we heard uh, Josie Pagani, um, pundit, she, she called it the worst decision the government's ever made when she appeared on News Talk ZB. And the fellow panellist at the time, Matthew Tukaki of the Māori Council, saying um, cyclists need to be put in their place. Which is, and he's talked about their extreme arrogance. It's kind of surprised me that someone of a representative body like that would come out and say that sort of thing. But is this not at all out of keeping with the sort of responses you get when you cover this issue outside of Auckland? There's a certain brand of it uh, that differs region by region. I think central Wellington 
as a whole is slightly more comfortable with active and public transport than the most of the country. The statistics bear that out. But we've seen the same sort of fights happen with the island-based cycleway here, for example, which became a very heated issue. It's a tribalistic issue. And you've, you, you've said it just, just then in the, in, the, in the framing of those quotes, people talking about cyclists need to be put in their place, cyclists this, cyclists that. People identify as a driver or a cyclist, and there are not a lot of cyclists in New Zealand. Two or three percent of people commute to work, and most of the time when you can think of someone as a cyclist, they're a cycling enthusiast who are doing it for recreation. Yeah, that's well, hence the, all those references to lycra, right? So people think that maybe a sport or a pastime is being prioritised or something. You've also got that aspect which kind of comes out with every piece of climate reporting is that people feel like they're being asked to change their ways. People like driving. Driving can be very convenient. And any good transport network in a city needs to work with a number of options. And, you know, trips less than two kilometres... They're that big goal in climate change. That's the easy lever to pull that's just hanging there, the low-hanging fruit, is that if you can convert a certain number of those small trips to cycling or e-bikes or e-mopeds, that's a huge amount of the transport emissions in this country. That, that's been lost, and I think it's turned into you have to drive everywhere or you have to bike everywhere. Yeah, they were fascinating figures, those short trips. You could see more people seemingly inclined to take a bus or even walk if, if that was possible, and the one that hadn't increased was the cycling. If you're a planner, I guess you're looking at that and thinking, well, that's the one you want to increase. You get an immediate benefit because you know the appetite to do something other than in a car is there. We've actually seen walking and we've seen public transport increasing by a lot, whereas cycling hasn't really moved. And if you can move that from that 2% to 10 or 15%, that's the money. You know, that's, that's where you get those huge gains. So far, it hasn't happened. Um, in the mid-90s, particularly around then, we saw a big decline in kids biking to school. About 30% of secondary school students were, were biking to school on any given day in the 80s, and that's fallen to low single figures now. Um, which has obviously led to this whole generation where cycling just hasn't been an active part of people's lives. You see that in our city design is not designed with cycling in mind, which just sort of exacerbates this figure. So it's actually going to be a really big challenge, even just turning that 2 or 3% into a 10%, but the potential gains and emissions are really high. So you can actually look around the world at the gender split of people cycling in a given city, and it tells you a lot about how safe the city is. You have a certain small group of people who will bike regardless, and they are heavily male, whereas you see cities with safer cycling networks, you see a much closer to a 50-50 split. You see a lot more children biking. You see a lot more women biking. Even in Wellington, we saw some numbers just quite recently. There was a 2014 survey which was done on this, and you had split people into groups, and you saw a group of you know, highly active cyclists who will who are cycling now and will continue to cycle regardless of what's done to the streets. And it was, yeah, like you said, very heavily male. And this group of people who would cycle if it was safer, they're exactly the people that aren't cycling now. Well, you've also reported about, you know, the big roading projects, Transmission Gully. I mean, that's made headlines in the Dominion Post mm. for years. I mean, a lot longer than you've been in the job. But uh, do you get uh, lobbied personally? Do you get I mean, are you targeted by people that want to have their point of view represented? 
Uh, yeah, they used to say, um, there was a saying in the newsroom that you weren't a transport reporter at the Don Post until you have your first transmission galley front page, and that's been going for <laughs> a decade now. <laughs> but, I mean, yes, I mean, cycleways, I cover, you know, obviously a number of issues, and cycleways are the one that I get the most accusations of bias. Uh, and when it's coming from both sides, it's probably a good sign as a reporter. Um, but, yes, people are people are really heated uh, about the issue. and Does it feel like there's so much heat on it that you can't actually get the data across or the facts that you'd like people to know in stories and reporting? Or is all the heat on it a good thing? There is definitely that really, you know, that really strong initial reaction that people get. But at the same time, the fact that it's a story people are heavily engaged in, you know, means that, you know, people are more likely to be interested and want to learn more about the topic. You know, and it is going to be a topic that's a fairly big one going forward because Wellington's just passed this plan and set aside some money, but this 70 kilometres of cycling network still has to be built. And when every single one of them goes in, there's going to be debate in each local street and each local community about whether we should be giving up these car parks, how the road should be aligned, whether this was going to cause problems with commute. And that's going to happen in every city in New Zealand as part of this climate push and just as part of cities becoming increasingly densified and needing to change their transport systems. And then we've got the scarce resources thing. So, for example, um, we had Kira McIver on News Talk ZB saying it was callous to fund this cycling bridge in Auckland because you could buy 26 bridges for the same cost for one in Ashburton, which has been damaged in the floods. Um, And the same time she's saying, look, you know, pay the nurses, don't spend money on cycling. And you can understand that. Yet, you know, things like campaigns for people who have rare diseases and the drugs cost $400,000 a year, media swing in behind them and say money must be found to do this. And, And obviously... These are matters of life and death, you know, people's medicine for rare conditions, so I don't mean to trivialise it at all. But is there a bit of a different media attitude? Like, media seems quite happy to uh, to play up the scarce resources thing when it comes to transport, and yet, if it's other stuff, they're happy to sort of back people's demands for um, money to be spent, even if there isn't money in a budget for it? I mean, transport absolutely is and can be life and death, both in driving and cycling and any in any form of transport. Um, a huge amount of money right now is being spent on road to zero. I think even in the Wellington Cycleways debate, it was the arguments of safety, I would say, that were more persuasive to the council than the arguments of environmental change. But, yeah, there's always going to be that argument, even at the local government level in Wellington, the pipes are the absolute go-to and and the city's one of the city's greatest priorities, and so that's been a common theme. Why are we funding this and not funding the pipes or funding social housing? Like you've just said, at a central government level, there's always something else that money can be spent on. So you're not going to be short of stories for the the next little while. (laughs) Yeah, like I said, it's going to be a continued debate, and, and the fight over the value for money in that also has to incorporate the emissions value from any change, um, you know, it's not just about transport times, but it's about climate initiatives, and it, and it's about the entire structure of cities. So it's it's not going to be an easy one. <laughs> That's Joel McManus, transport and infrastructure reporter for the Dominion Post in Wellington.